So we're back in Ezekiel. We haven't been here for a little while. Uh, we've had some disruption due to the holidays and some other things. And so we're in chapter 16. We broached chapter 16 last time we were together, but 15, 16, and 17 are all parables. These are the parables, some of the parables in the Old Testament. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly or spiritual meaning. That's all a parable is. And so if you understand it that way, it'll make all the sense in the world to you, whether it's an Old Testament parable or a New Testament parable. A parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Okay? Now, the first parable that we talked about last time was in chapter 15, and that had to do with the parable of the vine. Who was the vine spoken of in that parable? Israel. And what happened to the vine? And each one of these parables are a parable with regard to judgment that's coming upon a rebellious nation. So in chapter 15, the vine was Israel, and the vine was judged by fire. It was burned. Aren't we glad that we have the rainbow as a sign of God's promise that he'll never, never, ever, ever again destroy the earth with water? But he didn't say anything about fire, did he? <laughs> but the fire needs to be cleansing the earth, remediating the earth, refining the earth. And he's going to be doing that, isn't he? Yeah. Now, as we move into chapter 16, it's another parable. What was the parable here? Yeah, the faithless bride or the adulterous wife. The adulterous wife. And in a couple of weeks, we'll get into chapter 17, and that parable has to do with the two eagles. The two eagles. But all of these parables, these three parables, chapter 15, 16, 17, deal with judgment that's coming upon a, reject, a God rejecting a rebellious nation that has had every opportunity to experience the goodness of the Lord, but have chosen hmm, Jacob's stew instead of the Lord's blessings. Hmm. That's another story, isn't it? Yeah, for another time, I guess. I was thinking about that as I was going through the text tonight. How often do people exchange a bowl of porridge in exchange for the blessings that only God can give? How often do people satisfy their carnal, fleshly appetites rather than obeying the Lord and receiving his blessings in their life? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what we're going to see here in chapter 16. And, and, and I do love chapter 16 because at the end of the chapter, it really ends with the sovereign grace of God being displayed. God's grace is so amazing. It is so incredible. It's beyond my understanding. And I can't explain it to you. This marvelous grace that God has offered each and every one of us, and he's offering Israel as we go through the text. So this is the parable of the adulteress or the unfaithful wife. I think last time we were together, we covered the first 14 verses. So I'll go over those quickly for your remembrance, making a minor commentary. Verse six, chapter 16, verse 1, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. So he's going to share in a parable of an adulterous woman, adulterous wife, what Israel has been doing in spiritual adultery against the Lord. And say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother was a Hittite. So what is he saying there? They were pagan. They, they were uh, joining the Goyim. Now, the Canaanites were the descendants of who? 
We went through that last time, Ham. The Canaanites were the descendants of Ham, the son of, of Noah, Ham. And the speaking of the Amorites and the Hittites, they're really talking about all of the people of Canaan. That was the largest two people groups there. He's going to mention it again in verse 45. Verse 4, but as for your nativity... On the day that you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in swaddling cloths. So there was no care, no infant given to them, right? No infant care given, uh, post-birth care. And, and any infant who was just left alone, unattended, what would happen to them? They'll die. They'll die. And isn't it quite amazing that there are liberal states in our country now that are legislating laws to allow them to take a child after birth and lay it aside and give no care to that child until it expires? How barbaric. What's new? When, 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 when has human race not killed children? In what period of time have we not killed our children? There's never been a period of time where human beings have not killed their children. Do you know that? Do you understand that? This abortion issue, it's going to stay with us until the Lord comes. I want you to understand that. You know, we, we pray, we pray that God would restrain the evil, but we know from his word, he tells us that evil will wax worse and worse right up until the time of the end. That we are in that period of time where God said, well, men will perceive good to be evil, evil to be good, and that's precisely where we are. Isn't it? Hmm. But here, no care was given to Israel when they were born. And we consider the Jewish nation and how they have been so persecuted. The, the greatest persecution of any people group on the face of the earth has been to the Jews. The eradication of the Jews began way in the beginning. And even today, anti-Semitism anti continues to grow. Hmm. No, I pitied you. They were despised. They were abandoned. They were rejected. The world would consider infanticide, right? No, I pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into the open field when you yourselves were loathed on the day that you were born. This, this neglect of children is nothing new, and during the time of Christ, during the Greco-Roman period, if someone had birthed a child and they didn't want that child, they'd bring that baby to the Colosseum and, and lay it at the gate of the Colosseum, and it would either be raised for slavery or used as sport with the gladiators of the beasts to entertain the crowds. Isn't that amazing? How barbaric, how horrible. That's what he's saying here, though. No one looked after you. Verse 6, and when I passed by you, who passed by? God, Jehovah. When I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your own blood, live. What makes the difference between life and death? The word of God. The word of God makes the difference between life and death even now. As Jesus said to his disciples as he was watching the crowd of religionists go into the temple for worship, but they didn't know God. There was no spiritual life in them at all. He said, they are dead while they yet live. Boy, that's so true of so many in our culture today. They have a false sense of spiritual security. There's no real true relationship with the Lord. But when the Lord speaks life into a human being, life comes. Hmm? Yes. And it's through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And the word of God is what produces life, spiritual life, that new birth. 
Live, yes, I said, live. Verse 7, I made you thrive like a plant in the field, and you grew, matured, and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again, I looked upon you, and indeed your time was a time for love, and so I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. Yeah. A naked young woman who is beautiful would be in peril in that day as well as in our day, too. But God saw, Israel, that she was ready to be at an age where she would marry, she would bear children, she would have that intimate relationship with the man that she would love or commit herself to, and God covered her. This is the analogy here. Aren't we glad for God's covering? I'm so thankful for his saving grace, but I have to tell you, I wake up every day so grateful for his keeping grace for the covering that he is. Aren't you? Mm. And that's what he was doing for Israel. They would have died long ago, but he cared for them. He tended them. He covered them. Yes, verse 9. Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood. I anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered cloth and gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with the fine linen and covered you with silk. Mm. We had to take off our filthy garments, didn't we? Garments of sin, rebellion, transgression. But he's replaced them with what? The righteousness of Christ. That's what we're clothed in now. That's the only way we can make entrance into heaven. The only way you can be found worthy when he comes. Not for your works. No, you could never, ever, ever perform to where God would find you acceptable. It's not a perfection of performance, a perfection of relationship that God is looking for. And when you have that relationship with Christ, like a, a, a husband clothes and protects his wife, so too Christ has clothed us and protects us, covers us. The only requirement for you to be found worthy when he comes is to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Sharing the gospel. How many of you were here Sunday night for prayer? And we were talking about witnessing, sharing the gospel. Do you remember what I said? What, what, is, what truly is witnessing if we're going to be a martyr, martyros for Christ? What does it mean to be a witness? Mm -hmm. More specifically. Listen to me. This is very important. You get this. What? You have to let Christ live his life through you. It's not, you. You can't do it. You see, the way I live my life or the way I'm obedient, that puts the onus on who? And you can't do it. It's impossible. But it's God who works within me both to and to do. Why? Because it's Christ living his life in me, through me. And you know you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ when you know it's his life being lived in you. So important. And that's our witness. That's our testimony. Not so much our words, you know, when we, so many people today, you know, they just want to take scalps. They want to notch their belt, you know. And, and nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you truly care. And who, who, who alone truly loves us? It's Christ. And Christ will give us the capacity to truly love one another. Hmm? Yeah. I clothed you. I adorned you, verse 11, with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists, a chain on your neck. 
They were prosperous. They lived in, 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 in pleasure and blessing. They had a wonderful position in the Lord. I will put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown upon your head. So all this nose piercing and ear piercing and all this, that's nothing new, is it? No. No, I ran into a girl the other day, you know, uh, when Gail was with us, we were at server. She was pierced everywhere, man. I just look at her and, you know, well, that's interesting. Yeah, that's, you know, I said, I said, you know, body piercing saved my life. Really? I said, yes. His hands were pierced, his feet, his side. She looked at me. <laughs> Can somebody else wait on that guy? You know? <laughs> Uh, verse 13, thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was fine linen, silk, embroidered cloth. You ate a Panaris pastry of fine flour, honey, and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded in royalty. You became, you know, this, this abandoned woman became a queen. But the queen decides to become a harlot. Whew, isn't that terrible? Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor, which I bestowed upon you, says the Lord God. It's a Cinderella story from rags to riches. Does this remind you of anything? He's not just talking about Israel. He's not just talking about Jerusalem, not just 2,500 years ago. What does it remind you of today? What does it remind you of? The church? How about, how about this nation? We're one of the youngest nations on the face of the earth and how God blessed us in the beginning. Why? Because our forefathers and foremothers wanted to place where they could freely worship God in truth and spirit without a, a government-mandated religion or church or state church. And, and so from the very beginning, God blessed this nation incredibly. Do you understand? In the history of the nations, no nation has ever prospered and come to some prosperity, such power as we have in such a very short period of time. But since World War II, we have turned from the blessing. We worship the blessings rather than the blessor, right? And we've turned to our pleasures and our materialism and pride in arrogance, in ignorance, because of our fame, because of our position. That's precisely what Jerusalem did. Judah of old, that's what he's talking about. That's precisely what we have done. You understand this? The arrogance, and now look at, look at the corruption that is so pervasive in our nation today. Last time we were together, I talked about those ancient gods. They're false gods. Baal, Ashtoreth. Molech, Nimash, they're all, they're all ancient gods, but behind every one of those false gods, ancient gods was what? Demons, a demonic entity. Make no mistake about it. Behind the worship of Baal, which is materialism, material prosperity, was, was that lust and greed is a demonic force that would inspire you to greed, to covetousness, to envy. Hmm? And his consort, Ashtoreth, that's simply the worship of Physical pleasure, inappropriate, sexual relations. Hmm. And whenever that happens, when you have a people who's given over to promiscuity, not, not keeping self-control and enjoying the gift, the God's gift of sexual pleasure in the marriage relationship alone, then you have all these unwanted children. Crisis pregnancies. As in ancient Israel, so too today, love crisis pregnancy. What do we do? Get rid of it. It's not a child. It's only a fetus. What does a fetus mean? 
And so in the worship of Molech, right, these demonic spirits, these demonic forces would encourage the people to, to this false worship of this god Molech who would require child sacrifice. And as you go down that road to immoral sexual perversion of the worst type, then you go down into that spiral where you actually become a captive of Satan, the worship of Nimash the God of the underworld. And that's precisely where we are, Romans 1. I said it over and over and over again. Please let me remind you again. God has given us over to a sexual revolution in the 60s. I grew up during that time. I wish to God I hadn't. I, I, I didn't know the Lord. I didn't know the Lord until I was 30 years old. And I wish to God I had never, ever, ever experienced or, or did the things that I'm so ashamed of now. I wouldn't have to fight those demons, you see. But in the 60s, it was a sexual revolution. And then after the sexual revolution, verse 26, what does he give him over to in chapter 1 of Romans? A homosexual revolution. That's what we have today. A homosexual revolution. The sexual revolution and the LGBTQXYZ craziness that's out there. Now, now look how it's destroying our children. Mutilating children in our insanity. But that's precisely what he said in verse 28. He gave him over to a deranged mind, a reprobate mind, where you, you can't even think straight. And our political leaders, religious leaders, business leaders, destroying us. Have no regard for the people that they're supposed to be leading and caring for. Only their own self-interest. Listen, that's what was happening in Israel. That's what's happening today. Do you not think that God is not going to judge us? I think we're already under his judgment as a nation. God did so much for Israel. And then in return, they played the harlot, committed spiritual adultery, would rather have a bowl of stew, satisfy their carnal fleshly appetites rather than receive the blessings of the Lord simply by being obedient. But you know, beloved, you, you don't have the power to be obedient. What do you have the power to do? Submit. When we talk about the priesthood of all believers, right? The priest offered sacrifice unto God, whether it was the burnt offering whether it was a peace offering, whether it was a sin offering, the priest would officiate in the offerings that were prescribed in the book of Leviticus. And through those offerings, when it was done with a sincere heart, the right motive, you would receive a kofar, a covering for your sin, not a complete remission, because that would come with Christ in the latter covenant, but you would receive a kofar, a temporary covering. You would receive righteousness from God because of your faith in the promises that he's made with regard to the forgiveness that would come, the sacrifice that would be made, the true lamb of God. Now, in the New Testament, we say that there's a priesthood of all believers. And what does that simply mean? It's simply, listen to me, now listen closely. It simply means that you can offer a sacrifice to God that nobody else in the world can. Nobody else can offer the sacrifice willingly, joyously, to God that you alone can offer. What is that? Your life. Your life. And that's all that's required. If you truly will offer your life, God, whatever it is, whatever you want, then he'll begin to work within you to will and to do. To will and to do. But he just needs to know you're willing. Hmm? 
Oh, Israel, Israel, Israel. Oh, America, America. How could you turn so quickly from a God who has nothing but your highest and best in mind? We see what's happened. Yeah, even within Christendom. Right? Now, now, again, if you're new here, I make a clear distinction between the body of Christ. She's beautiful. She's the chaste bride. She loves the Lord. And his Holy Spirit is working through her beautifully. And Christendom, which is just religiosity, there's a huge difference, beloved. You need to discern that difference. You need to know that God is truly your God. You've surrendered to him completely. And if you do, then he works within you. Those works of righteousness that he desires. You know, we get those crowns, right? All those crowns that are offered to the believer. And when we get to heaven, what do we do with them? Why do we throw them at his feet? They're my crowns. No, he did the work. We didn't earn those crowns. He did. We're more than, but here, here, now we're going to turn the corner. After all that God has done for, I mean, Israel. All that God has done for America and how we have betrayed him. But you trusted in your own beauty, played the harlot because of your fame and poured out all of your harlotry on anyone passing by who would have it. You took some of your garments and adorned multicolored high places for yourself, played the harlot on them. Such things should not happen nor be. You have also taken your beautiful jewelry from my gold and my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourselves male images and played the harlot with them. There's no children here. You know what he's talking about. Sex toys are nothing new. That's precisely what he's talking about here. This is sick. We've got to be very, very careful because we have a stewardship over everything God has given us. Our time, our money. What do you, what do, you do with your casual time? What do you do with your recreational time? What do you do with your money that he's given you? What do you do with the life and breath? Your energy, your talents. We're going to give an account one day. And of all that God did for them, what did they do with it? Their own selfish, depraved, pleasures. Hmm. What's new? What's new under the sun? Verse 18, you took your embroidered garments and covered them, and you set my oil and my incense before them. Also my food, which I gave you, the pastry, the fine flour, the oil, the honey, you, which I fed you, you set before them as sweet incense. And so it was, says the Lord God. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters, whom you bore to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your acts of harlotry a small matter? What was the last straw when God judges the nation and, and he judges whether it was the northern kingdom of Israel and the capital of Samaria, whether it was the southern kingdom of Judah with the capital of Jerusalem? What was the last straw and then God judged? Child sacrifice. They began the great, listen, the greatest blessing God offers us are children. You know the big lie today? The big lie is that the nation, that the world's overpopulated. You know that's a big lie. There's not enough people on the globe. There really isn't. 
And so many nations are in trouble because they're not, they're, they're not producing or, or having enough children to replace the people who are passing on. One generation passes on, another generation comes to be. But we have a very serious problem, a depopulation problem, not an overpopulation. You understand that? But our society, and listen, you, you have to ask yourself, how much regard do you really have for children? How much love do you have for the children? They're all God's children, whether, whether you birth them or not. They're God's children, and so therefore we need to have, take responsibility and care for them, right? Good news, lady? Yeah. Hmm? Don't you love that? You do, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She comes home with such a fire after the good news program, you know? You know, we're singing, you know, like the fire. You have any more fire, you'd be a rocket. <laughs> Oh, but what, but it's a serious, listen, it's a serious thing. What, what is your attitude towards children? The Galliers are coming to visit. Did you know that? Yeah, they'll be here in early February. Eight children now? Seven girls and one boy. Finally a boy. Yeah. Six, six girls and one boy. Oh, six girls and one boy. Seven children. Yeah. Must be, I must be prophesying. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So they're coming for a short time, and you know, they said Friday night they're going to a, uh, to a birthday party, but it's adults only. They didn't know what to do with the kids. I said, Gail and I'll take them. I love those kids. Those kids are, they're joy. They raise their children so that everybody enjoys their children. And that's how we're supposed to raise our children, right? Yeah. That should be the philosophy. You want to raise your children so that, that you're not the only one that loves your children. Everybody loves your children, right? Yeah. Children are such a blessing, a reward from the Lord, and they're so discarded, so ignored. The safest place for humankind for the first nine months of their existence should be the mother's womb. It's the most dangerous place. Over 50% of the children conceived are aborted. And then those that make it out of the womb alive, what have we done to them? Do you know the epidemic of teen suicide? This gender dysphoria, this the madness. But we don't, we don't introduce our children to the Creator to the lover of their soul. Mm. We send them to school, and we entrust these educators to educate our children. And what do they do? Indoctrination in their ideologies. They're not educating our children any longer. They're destroying them. But well, you have to ask the question, why has God allowed all of this? Because we've turned from God. That's why God allowed it all in Israel, of old. That's why he's allowing it in the United States today. Now, not you, not the body of Christ. The body of Christ doesn't turn from God. I, I take, I, I don't know about you, I'm a little weird. When I watch the news, I get excited. What do I get excited about? The king's coming. The Lord is coming. That's what I get excited about. Yeah, I, I, I look at what's going on in the globe, and it seems to be so disastrous, so dark, so ah. Uh, I get in the Word. I say, yes, Lord, yes. You're coming. <laughs> yes, you cause your sons and daughters to pass through the fires, the Molech. Verse 22, in all of your abominations, acts of harlotry, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and struggling in your blood. How did we forget one nation under God? God bless. That ain't happening anymore, is it? What happened after 911? We displayed our religious pluralism, right? National Cathedral, worshiping every god. There are no gods at all. They're just demonic forces. They're demons. 
It was, listen, it was the gospel of Jesus Christ that, that was so prevalent in the United States of America for a long time that restrained those demonic forces from having any influence on our society. Resist the devil. And what? Right. And what do you got to do to resist the devil? Just focus on the Lord. Just, just focus on the Lord. Stay in his word. Stay in the love of the Lord. Let us live his life through you. You don't ever have to worry about the devil or demons. I have never been concerned about the devil, and I've never been concerned about demons. I focus on Jesus. But we as a nation took our focus off of Jesus and onto our materialism, onto our pleasures, onto our desires. And now we've opened up the door for all of these demonic influences and entities to once again possess the nation. It was the gospel that did the mass exorcism of demons throughout all of Europe. Consider the difference between the Far East and Europe. When Europe was in the Enlightenment period, when Christianity was prevailed, prevalent, look at how dark the East has always been. India and the mall, you know, across the street, they worship 300 million gods. Rats eat 30% of their grain production every year, but they worship rats and they let their people starve. Anybody ever been in Mumbai? Ever been in India? Yeah. They don't eat, they don't, they kiss the cow and let their children starve. You go, they go in the streets and they collect the dead in the morning. In the poorest areas of India. Do you know that? Just like Ethiopia. Because so many people die of starvation. When it's so unnecessary. Because of the worship of their demons. The flesh and the demonic forces in the world, they have one desire. What is it? Your destruction. You, you, you give your flesh its way in any particular area, it's going to destroy you. I was talking to a friend of mine who, who quit smoking today. I said, praise the Lord, I'm so glad you quit smoking. Yeah, but I'm chewing gum like crazy. I said, gum will not shorten your life. Smoking will. You know. But boy, what a hard habit to break sometimes, right? But you continue with some of those habits that are no good for you, for your health, or even sinful behaviors, what is it? eventually it'll destroy you. That's the purpose of the flesh and demons and the world. The consort. They come together. The axis of evil. The world, the flesh, and the devil wanting to destroy us. But greater is he. Yeah, amen. I, I, you know, I, I, I could spend days, days expressing how much beauty, wholeness, wealth, life God has brought into me since 1980 when I surrendered my life to him. And so can you. So can you. You built high places, verse 25, at the head of every road. You made your beauty to be adorned. You offered yourself to everyone who passed by the multitude of your acts of harlotry. Who's the biggest exporter of pornography in the world? We are. We are. Which state in the union produces more pornography than any other? The left coast, California. California, largest producers of pornography. Who's getting hooked on pornography just as much as men now? Isn't that amazing? When women start to take on the same sexual attitudes that men do, that perversion, you're at the beginning of the end. Happened in the Egyptian society, happened in the Grecian society, happened in the Roman society, happening in ours. 
Yes, you also committed harlotry with the Egyptians, your very fleshly neighbors, and increased the acts of your harlotry to provoke me to anger. Behold, therefore, I stretched out my hand against you, diminished your allotment, and gave you up to those who will hate you. The daughters of the Philistines who were ashamed of your lewd, your lewd behavior. The daughters of the Philistines. What were the Philistines in relationship to the Jews? Enemies. Their enemies were disgusted with their behavior. Go figure. Who, who, listen, who's been schooling the United States on our immorality? Vladimir Putin. Isn't that a, quite amazing? Our enemy, Vladimir Putin. Now, I'm not a fan of Putin's, don't get me wrong, you know? But, you know, Biden, he can't stop Putin. <laughs> That's a joke. Never mind. Never mind. I won't tell you the rest of the joke. Anyway. <laughs> Isn't it quite sobering? That what Putin has to say, the criticism Putin has towards the West and our immorality, our immoral behavior, it's, it's true. I mean, he's not saying anything that isn't true. But isn't it amazing that the Philistines would be so disgusted and appalled at the lewd behavior of the Jews? Isn't it amazing that these Russian Christians, the Russian Orthodox Church, that, that the African Episcopalian and, and Pentecostal churches are absolutely appalled and disgusted with the behavior of the United States? When we parade our immorality, is this no, what, what's changed? What's new? What's the one thing we learned from history? We don't learn anything from history. It continues to repeat itself. And that's precisely what we're reading here. Verse 28, you also played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were insatiable indeed. You played the harlot with them and still were not satisfied. Moreover, you multiplied your acts of harlotry as far as the land of the traitor Chaldea, that's Babylon. And even then you were not satisfied. How degenerate is your heart, says the Lord God, seeing you do these things, the deeds of a brazen harlot. Whew. Let's see, we go to 8.30 now, right? What are you hahaing about? Don't we go to 8.30? Yeah. Okay, all right. So I just, I'm just verifying it. Okay, we go to 8.30, you know? Nine, can I have nine? <laughs> we got to drive home, yeah. Okay. And we can stay the night. Who wants to stay over? We'll have an all-night Bible study. Nick wants to, hey, married St. Nick. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he's, oh, he's 20. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't go I'm going to be 72. He's 20. We can stay here, right? Nick, I, I'll hang with you, buddy. I'll hang, I, think, I'll, I think you have a hard time hanging with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah all right. Yeah. All right, all right. You, you called me out. You called me out. I took a nap this afternoon. You know. You know, my dog is getting old. He's 12 years old. I'm getting old. The two of us take naps. That's all, you know. I mean, we're a couple of old men, you know. All right, enough of that. All right, enough of that. Enough of that. Enough of that. All right, back to the text, all right? We, we, we're having a good time because of the joy of the Lord. The, the joy of the Lord is his salvation that he's brought us. And it can give us such joy in such a dark, it is a dark time. It's a, it's a grievous time. It does grieve me. My spirit is vexed at what is happening, but it doesn't steal the joy I have in the Lord. 
Now listen, that's, that's very important that as you see what's taking place or you're watching the news or you're, you know, uh, nobody reads a newspaper anymore, do they? they? They don't even know what that is. No, no. But as you're reading the news on your computer, you know, that serves as a phone as well, don't get depressed. Don't get distressed. Rejoice. Every indication our king is coming. Hmm. Verse 31. You erected your shrine at the head of every road and built your high places in every street, yet you were not, you were not like a harlot because you scorned payment. You were an adulterous wife. You take strangers instead of, of her husband. Men make payment to all harlots, but you made your payments to all of your lovers and hired them to come to you from all around for your harlotry. They're paying these people to sleep with them, not getting revenue because they're offering themselves. Not like a harlot, worse than a harlot, worse than a prostitute, right? Do we do that? How do we do that? How, how does the United States do that? I'm sorry? Okay, Hollywood. But how do we, how do we pay our lovers to lie with us. Foreign aid. Our, we've used our foreign policy to enslave people and to seduce them into our depravity. Do you understand that? Yeah. Just as, wow, it's amazing, isn't it? Don't you find this amazing? You are the opposite of the other women, verse 34, in your harlotry, because you once solicited you to be a harlot in that you have payment, but no payment was given to you. Therefore, you are the opposite. Now then, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your filthiness was poured out like your nakedness, uncovered in all of your harlotry with your lovers and with all of your abominable idols and because of the blood of your children which you had given them. Surely, therefore, I will gather all of your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those who loved you and all those who, who hated you, all those you loved and all those who you hated. I have gathered them from all around against you and will uncover your nakedness to them that they may see your nakedness. And I will judge you as a woman who break wedlock or shed blood are judged. I will bring blood upon you in fury and jealousy. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? How we, we bought our, you can't buy friends. You can't buy loyalty. You know, it's, it's through a, a trusted relationship. But we've tried to buy our friends, haven't we? And we're losing our capacity to do that any longer as a nation. And, and what is happening? What, what, you know, shortly after World War II, Saudi Arabia and, and the United States entered into a relationship where, where oil on the open market in the world could only be bought in dollars. Dollars. It was, it was a reserve currency for the world, U.S. dollars. What did Saudi Arabia just do recently? What did, what did the, uh, the prince want to do? Who's he joining forces with? What's that, what's that relationship called, the, the, the five nations? It's China, Russia, Brexit. India, Brexit. not Brexit, no, Brits. The, these five nations that have come together to, to counter the G7, okay? But they're our enemies. Saudi Arabia has just joined membership. And oh, by the way, we want to sell our oil now in the open market, not in dollars any longer, 
in the end. Isn't that amazing? Now, now what happens if tomorrow morning you wake up and the, and the dollar is no longer the reserve currency for the world? What happens? All these nations dump their dollars. They put their dollars on the open market. And what happens to us? In one day. In, listen to me. You, you don't understand this. In one day, the economy of the United States can tank. We'll be Venezuela. You'll be, you'll be bringing in a wheelbarrow load of dollars to buy a loaf of bread at Aldi's. Now, now listen, I, I, and none of this should put you in fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind, right? Now, there, there were believers in Israel when Israel was being judged. But God, but God will always take care of his people. I don't know what we may have to go through. I don't know how difficult it might be, but I'm not afraid of that. This momentary light affliction, not to be compared to that eternal weight of glory, that's mine. So you, you should not be ever, ever. Listen, God is, and the Holy Spirit would never, ever, ever want to put you in fear. But we want to be realists. We don't want to be an ostrich without head in the sand. We want to see what's taking place. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christendom, you know the popular belief in Christendom now is, that, is open theology. Open God. What does that mean? He changes. God doesn't say the same. God doesn't know everything. He changes according to the situation. How crazy, how, how blasphemous. Right? How heretical. No, no, no. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just as God did not apologize to Israel, but judged Israel, he's going to judge the United States. And he's already beginning to. You need to understand that. So precisely what happened to Israel, where their enemies started to turn on them because Solomon was no longer king. They were no longer the predominant nation in the, in the area of, of, of Palestine. And so now all these other nations that had to pay tribute to them, had to bow down to them, now, now will be coming together as a confederation to come against them. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Termites, they're everywhere. Verse 39, I will also give you into their hand and they shall throw you down your shrines and break down your high places. They will also strip you of your clothing, take your beautiful jewelry and leave you naked and bare. There'll be a gang rape and then they will kill you. That's what he's talking about. Pretty, pretty horrific, isn't it? Pretty graphic. This is a parable earthly story with a heavenly spiritual meaning, but it's not good. It's not good. Le beloved, this new year, 2023, we're, we're so, today's the 11th, right? Isn't that correct? Today's the 11th. We're only 11 days into the new year. Would you please, please, please do inventory where your heart really is? Are you really surrendered to the Lord? Are you a two percenter? What's a two percenter? 2% of the people who tithe, okay? And 2% of the people who share their faith. Well, if a person tithes, Malachi says that's a test. Who's testing whom? God is testing his people. Does God need your money? Does he need your 10%? No. You need to give God the 10%. Why? For your sake. To show your devotion, your dedication, right? Love, love is not emotion. Oh, there's a lot of people that give God emotion, you know. They'll get into the worship scene and they'll cry during worship and, and then they go out and live like a harlot. And they don't give God, give God his due. 
He, he says, if I'm your father, right? He's talking to Israel of old. He said, if I'm your father, where's my honor? Where's my honor? Why are you not obeying me? Why are you not honoring me? I'll give you 100% of what you have. I ask for 10% back. Is that not a good deal? Hmm? Why is it only 2%? And listen, the statistic is no better in our congregation. Now, I don't know who gives what, but Diane, our administrator, every, at the end of every year, she gives me all the number of giving units in the church. Maybe there's 100, okay? 100 giving units. And then she says, okay, here's where they are. Boop, 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 boop. 20% of the body supports 80% of the budget. Thank you for your 20%. I praise God for the 20%. I pray for the other 80 who are being disobedient to the Lord. Spend more on fast food during the week than they give to the Lord. Their God is their belly. That's a serious matter, beloved. And no wonder they don't share their faith. They don't have one. They don't have a strong, deep faith where they're on fire. Right? When you're on fire, you can't help but tell them and share about the Lord. Now, I, I don't listen. I don't say this to step on your toes. What am I trying to do? Touch your heart. Wake up. Wake up. Now, if I don't tell you this, if I don't warn you, then I'm not doing what I'm responsible to do. And then the judgment will be about my head. But your devotion, your, your, your love, excuse me, your love for the Lord is not shown in, in, in just a lot of emotion and sentimental attitude. And there's so much of a misunderstanding of the God of the Bible as a sentimental God who doesn't judge anybody and winks at everything you do. No, 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 contrary to that, no. He's a God who expects his children to behave responsibly in accordance with his will. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not? Yeah, why? Why, why would you call me Lord and hoard your money? Why would you call me Lord and not share me with the lost? How many conversations did you have over Thanksgiving, over Christmas, with your unsafe family? Did you tell them the truth? Doubt it. Doubt it. So who are you in fear of? You're in fear of man more than you are the Lord. Your heart is covetous. You'd rather spend what you have on yourself and your pleasures, rather than giving to the Lord, and he will bless you abundantly. Now, I'm not talking about you give a 1,000, you get 10,000 back. That's not what I'm talking about. We're not a word of faith here. The greatest blessing God gives in return has nothing to do with money or materialism, has everything to do with relationships. He blesses you with a deeper, stronger relationship with himself, and then one with another. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Why would you want to hinder that from happening in your life? That's what Israel did. That's what America's done. That's what so many of the church. You know, I, I, the only way I can determine who the church is any longer is not by what people say. I don't listen with my ears. How do I listen? With my eyes. With my eyes. Don't tell me. Show me. Right? I, I have said for years, you show me two things in a person's life, and I'll tell you who their God is. What two things? Right. Show me their day timer, their calendar, their appointments, those meaningful, significant events, and then show me their check register. And I'll tell you who their God is. Now, who, who's kidding who? Is God being mocked? No. God will not be mocked. Israel found out. America's going to find out. The church in America is going to find out. Listen, listen, this, this whole move to the, to the right, this, this social conservatism, this political conservatism, it's not spiritual. 
There's nothing spiritual about it. They don't want the Lord reigning over them. Nobody's praying for repentance for the nation. They want strong borders. They want prosperity. They want everything America offered, but they don't want the blesser. They want the blessings. Well, you can't have the blessings of being a Christian without being a Christian. And so believe me, beloved, listen to me. Listen with your eyes. Don't listen with your ears anymore. Overwhelming majority of people who claim to be in devotion to the Lord are not. They're not. There's no dedication to God. There's no real devotion. What's changed? So I will bring an assembly against you, verse 40, and they shall stone you with stones and thrust you through with swords destroy your economy and they shall burn your houses with fire execute judgment upon you in the sight of many women and I will make you cease playing the harlot and you shall no longer hire your lovers and so I will lay to rest my fury towards you my jealousy shall depart from you I will be quiet and be angry no more because you did not remember you're ungrateful You did not remember in the days of your youth, but agitated me with all these things. Surely I will also recompense your deeds on your own head, says the Lord God, and you shall not commit lewdness in addition to all your abominations. Wait till people get desperate. Then they won't be able to play the harlot. When you fall on desperate times, you know what? Sunday night will be full. You know what? We'll probably be meeting every night of the week. Seriously, when this nation gets desperate, people aren't desperate for God. When are you going to get desperate? And that's what God did. He started, he judged them so severely. They didn't have time to to think about all their abominations and all their desires and all their sin. They were just trying to survive. That's what's going to happen. No. And and I, I, you know, we, we know that when difficult times fall upon the church, the church grows. And you can be a pillar of strength. You, you can be a source of hope and encouragement when this happens. What would, happen, what would happen if the economy crashes tomorrow? You know how many people would be desperate? You know, we, we know that in the Great Depression, how many people committed suicide, businessmen, multimillionaires, jumping out of skyscraper windows, lost all hope. Why? Because they put their hope in this world. But we know we're not of this world. We're just passing through. We're just sojourners, right? But what? Are, listen, do you know what a glorious opportunity we're going to have to shine? It'll be the church's greatest hour, the body of Christ, her greatest hour. You understand that? When the church had to go hide into the catacombs in Rome, that's when the church was strongest. When Constantine established Christianity as a state religion, it was the worst thing that ever happened to the church. The worst thing that's ever happened to the church in America is this, is this marriage between politics and the church. Be prepared. Begin to allow the Holy Spirit to prepare you for what is coming so that you can stand strong. You understand? There's a time of trouble coming such as never was ever before, nor will ever be again, Jesus said. Now, how much of that we're going to have to see and experience? I, I don't know. I, I think there'll be some of it, for sure, for sure. But it's going to be our opportunity to really share the truth with people. There's so many people playing church rather than being the church. Playing Christian rather than allowing Christ to really take 
hold of your life and live his life through you. And I look forward to those times when people are desperate. You know what glorious services we're going to have? You know what, how we're going to experience the power of the Holy Spirit? Sunday nights, we're meeting at 6 o'clock just to wait upon the Lord. And, and somebody, several people have asked, well, what are you waiting for? I don't know. He just told me to wait. I, I think I'm waiting as we're, we're being prepared in that silence, in that quietness, in that surrender to the Lord. Listen, more than ever before, you need to lean in to your relationship with God. Don't take it for granted. Israel did that. The United States has done that. Since World War II, you can measure what has happened to us spiritually. We've been on a downward spiral ever since. And now we've hit the bottom of the sewer. But it's going to be a glorious time for those who are prepared. For the Jeremiah's of our day. Indeed, everyone who quotes Proverbs will use this proverb against you, like mother, like daughter. Who's their mother? The Canaanites. Who's the daughter? Israel. Israel, you're just like your mother. Who are we supposed to be imitating? Our Father in Heaven, you know? As, as, as you allow your Father in Heaven to work through you more and more, they will glorify Him, right? We're supposed to be chips off the old block, right? Imitating our Father. Israel was imitating their mother. Who's the great whore, the Babylon, spoken of in, Re- in Revelation? Who do you think that might be? The whore in Babylon. That, that the whole world looks to and depends upon for its commerce, for its material blessing and prosperity. Who's the whore of Babylon? The United States. Like mother, like daughter, like mother. Who's the mother of Babylon? Semiramis, the seducer, the great whore. Now, it's a demonic spirit. It's not, it's not the false god is not real. You know, every culture has a Semiramis, and a Semiramis has a, a child, right? And, and in Babylon, they worship Semiramis, the queen of heaven, and the queen of heaven had a son, and his son was named, do you know any of this? Temuz. Temuz. You need, listen, you need to know this. All, listen, all of this is being rebirthed, resurrected. The queen of heaven worship and the worship of her son. So much of this paganism is, is crept in what most people just, just assume is biblical, and it's not. I'm sorry. I know I'm getting a little off. Like mother, like daughter, verse 45, you are your mother's daughter, loathing husband and children. And you are the sister of your sisters who loathe their husbands and their children. Your mother was a Hittite. Your father was an Amorite. Is it, aren't you amazed? I'm, I'm, I'm shocked at the number of women walking away from their kids. You know, I, I can understand, you know, maybe you don't get along with the guy, you know. It's, it's tough sometimes, isn't it, living with me, right? I'm a man. I mean, you know, men are tough to live with sometimes, you know. Why do you blow your nose so hard? 
That's what she says to me. I said, have you seen the forest that that's got to go through? You know, take a look up in there, okay? That's why. <laughs> ooh, she says, ooh. You know. Boys are yucky, aren't they? No. <laughs> what do you mean, yes? <laughs> Where was I going with this? Yeah, women walking away from their marriages, walking away from their children. I mean, that, you know, I can understand what, a, 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 you know, it happens, right? You want to get sanctified? Nick, you want to be a sanctified man? Get married. Find a woman. Find a woman. Let me, nothing will sanctify. Hey, you fellas that are married, is that not true? Nothing sanctifies you more than marriage. Right? And don't you ladies start laughing. Nothing sanctifies you more than men. <laughs> Amen. But look, look, look at what the, we, women abandoning the natural love and affection and care that they should have for their children. It was always natural for mothers to love their children unconditionally, sacrificially. Not anymore. Listen, what's new? It happened in Israel. It happened in the time of Christ. It's happening again today. These are demonic forces and entities that the world's being seduced by. You, you understand it. Nothing new under the sun. You did not walk in their ways nor act according to their abomination, but as if they were too little, you became more corrupt than they in all your ways. Verse 48, as I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom or your daughter nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Isn't that terrible? Look, this was your iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor or the needy, right? This was a great, listen, you know, again, again, you go back to the fact of the 2%, right? Well, do you realize if, if, the, if the church, those, everyone who professed faith in Christ gave 10%, there would be no need. There'd be no poverty. Do you understand that? That's how, that's how wealthy we are. Now, the government knows that. They take a percentage of your income, and, they, and look what they do with it. We, they waste trillions of dollars, right? But if the church of Jesus Christ, if the, if the well, the church of Jesus Christ does give 10%, if, if the professing church, Christendom, just gave 10%. There'd be no poverty in the United States. Do you know that? But we're greedy. What are we saying here? But you wouldn't, you wouldn't take care of the need of the poor. Strengthen the hand of the needy. Verse 50, and they were haughty, committed abomination. more than they have and justified your sisters by all the abominations which you have done. You who judged your sisters bear your own shame also because of the sin which you committed were more abominable than theirs. They are more righteous than you. Yes, be disgraced also. Bear your own shame because you justified your sisters. Why are we held to an account. The Bible says, you know, for you fellas, don't rush out to be wanting to be teachers right away. Why? 
there's a, there's a higher standard. You know, wh whether it's women teaching women or, or teaching children or men teaching the, the congregation, uh, we're held to a higher standard. You need to be very careful. More, the more you know, the more you're responsible for. Israel knew their God. The Canaanites didn't. The Hittites, the Amorites, they didn't know the one true God. Israel knew. Israel experienced the blessings of the Lord. Do you understand? That's why we're going to be held accountable, the American. The United States of America was sending more missionaries throughout the world than any other nation on the face of the earth. We truly did at one time represent God. Not any longer. And we are going to be held more responsible than China. We'll be held more responsible than India. We'll be held more responsible than those nations that have been in darkness and never knew the Lord. One nation under God, indivisible, are we? No, we're divided in so many ways now, it's unbelievable. And no longer under the authority and the governance and the blessing and the love of God. Verse 53, I will bring back their captives, the captives of Sodom and her daughters and the captives of Samaria and her daughters. Then I will also bring back the captives of your own captivity among them, that you may bear your own shame and be disgraced by all that you did when you comforted them the deep remorse that they will have, but you won't. When your sister Sodom and her daughters return to the former state in Samaria and her daughters return to their former state, then you and your daughters will return to your former state, for your sister Sodom was not a byword in your mouth in the days of your pride, was she not? Before, verse 57, before your wickedness was uncovered, it was like the time of the reproach of the daughters of Syria and all those around her, and of the daughters of the Philistines who despised you everywhere. You have paid for your lewdness and your abomination, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done who despised the oath by breaking the covenant. But now God is going to show, this is, this is amazing to me. This chapter is so encouraging to me. Why? Because after all of this, after Israel plays this adulterous wife, God saves the elect. Because they were worthy of being saved? No. no. For his great name's sake. God is going to save some, right? The, the majority will perish. But God's sovereign grace will choose to elect to save some of them, even though they don't deserve it. Aren't you glad that God chose to save you, even though you did not deserve it? Did you deserve God's grace? Do you deserve God's forgiveness? Do you deserve God's mercy? No, no. We have never done anything to merit his favor, but we are so thankful we have it. How this chapter ends with the grace of God. You need to understand, God's grace is so amazing. Now, if you will, try to understand, but even more so, experience the grace of God in your life. What does that cause you to do? What? Be thankful. Be thankful, and in your gratitude, in your thankfulness, what do you do? Surrender. You surrender completely. I, I got saved late in life, as I said. I did things I, I wish to God I was never exposed to, I never did, totally ashamed, but I am so thankful for his salvation. I wasn't seeking God. He sought me. He saved me. Romans 5 makes it clear when you're without any spiritual inclination whatsoever, when you are sinners, when you are enemies of the cross, Christ died for you. I was at my worst, my worst possible state when he rescued me. It amazed me. It amazed me. And this is what he does for Israel. How many of you can claim the same thing? Give testimony tonight. I will, oh, his grace is so amazing. Look what it says. We have to finish this. 
please bear with me. Verse 16, nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Now, he's talking about the covenant that he made through Moses to Israel, but that was a temporary covenant. That wasn't the new covenant that would come. And now he's going to talk about the new covenant that will come in Christ. In Moses, in your obedience to the law, in believing the promises that God had made with regard to the coming of the Messiah, you had a temporary covering, an atonement, a kofar. But you didn't have the remission of sin. Remissions of sin wouldn't come until Christ came, the true sacrifice that all of those, the whole sacrificial system of Leviticus was pointing to. If you need to go, you can go. I'll speak to an empty room. I'm excited about this. (laughs) The new covenant in his blood, right? Which the old one was really representing in type, but not in essence. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your older and your younger sisters, for I will give them to you for daughters, but not because of my covenant with you, but because of the new covenant. I will establish my covenant with you, then you shall know that I am the Lord. What's going to happen to the millennial reign? All of those nations that are enemies of Christ now will become and worship the God of Israel in Jerusalem. They'll worship Christ. Do you know that? What is he talking about? I will establish my covenant with you, and then you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your shame when I provoke, when I provide an atonement for all you have done, says the Lord God, a pardon, a purging, a cleansing, a reconciliation, a kofar. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that he would describe this, this, this terrible woman that so betrayed this love relationship that he, she had with her husband. And how does it all end? Grace. Grace. He pardons her. And through that pardon, what happens to her? She, the remnant, will surrender everything. We have an Old Testament story just like this. Who's that? Hosea and Gomer. Gomer was the prostitute. Hosea was the prophet. And God says, go and marry the prostitute. And I want you to show my love to her in such a way that eventually, eventually she's going to come to the place of surrender. But before that happened, the prophet was paying her lovers to lie with her so he could provide for her. How many ways did God provide for you before you really came to the awareness of who he was? It's amazing, isn't it? We, we were the Gomer. We were the harlots. And God exposed his love to us, his grace to us in such a way that how how could we not surrender? How could I not give him my life now, my everything, my all in all? Please don't, don't take the relationship that he's offering us for granted. Do not take that for granted. Listen, Israel did. Israel of old. In Jesus' day, could you, could you have told any of the Sadducees or the Pharisees, any of the religionists of Jesus' day that they weren't right with God? Jesus tried. They wouldn't listen. And what happened when the judgment came? When Titus came into Jerusalem to destroy the city, they all ran to the temple, believing erroneously that they were in a secure relationship with God, that he would save them. And what happened? Depart from me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I command you to do? He said, many will come to him in that day and say, Lord, didn't we? 
No, you didn't. It was all for you. It wasn't for me. It was all to bring you into a false sense of spiritual security. It wasn't in devotion and love to me. I never knew you. And you know, we, listen, I've taught you this before. That word know, it means an intimate relationship. I never had this communion, this union, this intimacy with you. It was all religion. And it was all for you. It wasn't for me. Oh, beloved, please. Please listen to me. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight. Somebody out there, somebody, I don't know. But you need to examine your life. And are you living your life or are you living his? That's what you have to ask yourself. Am I really allowing Christ to live his life through me or am I just very comfortable in my, Christian, my American Christianity? Am I right or wrong? No, it's always been a remnant. It's just, it's never been anything more than a remnant. Okay? But you want to make sure you know that you know that you know. That you're allowing him to live his life through you, not your life. It's not Jesus, jump on board my plan. No, Jesus. I completely surrender and yield to your plan, Lord. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of service. It's your reasonable act of worship. Be the priest that God has called you to be and completely surrender everything to him. Why would that be unreasonable? It's insanity to do anything less. Isn't it true? It's insanity to see what Israel was doing. It's insanity to see what America was doing. It's insanity that we would follow the same folly. Amen? Amen. Pastor David, you close us in prayer in the last song. Shall we stand?